0: Making money without meaning leads to debauchery, but making money with meaning leads to philanthropy. See, if you sacrifice what you do just to meet a need, to make money, you'll end up debaucherous, kind of like the Wolf on Wall Street. But if you do something that's deeply meaningful, that doesn't meet a need, you'll do something that's heart opening, but you won't have any profits. But you put those two together, now you'll make a profit, you'll be philanthropic. And so if you really want to master the business world, it's about prioritizing and living by an inspired mission. And that's where questioning comes in. The quality of your life is based on the quality of the questions you ask. If you ask quality questions to customers and to employees, to help you and they and everybody get some sort of a fair exchange, then there's no way you will stop your business from flourishing. We stand today. This is Method the business with the Startup. The
1: Business Method.
0: The Business Method podcast. The Business Method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools and tactics
1: ladies and gentlemen boys and girls people of all ages i'm your host chris reynolds and welcome to the business method podcast a podcast featuring over 500 episodes of entrepreneurs and high performance experts dissecting their different methods tools and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives we've been fortunate enough to interview some of the leading experts in business and performance today the billionaire ceo of priceline jeff hoffman the ceo of chipotle Monty Moran world's top big wave surfer laird hamilton the first black woman to build a billion dollar company janet halroyd world's top investment expert jim rogers and the list goes on and on all of these guests you can find on the podcast backlog using apple spotify youtube google and any podcast app you prefer also you guys have you started listening to our micro high performance episodes yet We've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 interviews that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro podcast episodes that are just two to 10 minutes long. We publish these on Monday and Friday each week, and those episodes are labeled as HP number one, two, three, four, five, six, and so on. Those episodes are live now, and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content while you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered as soon as they're live. And now, let's hop into today's episode.
0: The Business Method.
1: Hey listeners, real quick before we get started, I wanted to tell you about our trips and adventures for entrepreneurs. We have live events in different locations around the world, luxury trips to the Caribbean, adventurous trips to knock off your bucket list, and of course some private business events as well. If you're an entrepreneur, we'd love to have you join us. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at thebusinessmethod.com to stay updated. And for those established entrepreneurs out there that want to be involved in a community that is curated specifically for seasoned business minds, then we have a group for you. Inside this group, we have private live events in different locations around the world specifically for our members. We get those members in a place where they can connect, collaborate, and grow their companies faster just by being around one another. We also organize private podcast viewings and Q&A sessions with some of the world's top entrepreneurs like Jim Rogers, Alex hermosi the CEO of Chipotle, the marketing mind behind GoPro. And as a member of our group, you'll get to hop on calls with our podcast guests regularly to ask them any questions you want. And the last benefit is access to private world-class masterminds that are specifically curated for whatever challenges you're going through at the time. Our purpose with this private community is to help you expand your network, connect with some of the brightest minds in business today, and help one another overcome business challenges faster you can learn more about our community at the remember subscribe to stay updated and now let's hop into today's show
0: the business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds
1: listeners welcome to the business method podcast or welcome back to the business method podcast today you guys we have dr. John D Martini on the podcast for the second time we had him on a show two years ago Every time I listen to Dr. Demartini speak or see a video of his or the last time we had him on a show, afterwards, I felt so incredibly excited about life and dreams and goals and ambitions and being an entrepreneur because he is such an incredibly inspirational guy. You guys, he is a world-renowned specialist in human behavior. He's a researcher. He's an author of 40 books, a global educator. He was in the movie The Secret from 2006 or 2007. He's spoken in 100 and I think 42 different countries, and he is the founder of the DMRTD Institute. Today, you guys, we're going to talk about four key essential things. One, how to unlock the full potential of your mind. Now, I know a lot of stuff is thrown out there these days about unlocking the full potential of your mind. We talk a lot about neuroscience on this podcast to help people actually really do that and find specific, legitimate ways that people are really unlocking the full potential of their minds. Dr. D. Martini has been doing this for somewhere around four to five decades helping people reach their full potential and so he is an expert and I say expert expert seriously when it comes to reaching your full potential and unlocking the full potential of your mind then we dive into the epigenetics and neuroplasticity of our brains and bodies and how they operate especially when you're focused on what really serves you as an entrepreneur what really serves the world what really serves you as a human and then we talk about some mindsets for creating results in entrepreneurship specifically. Dr. D. Martini talks about how to make money using the law of fair exchange in the highest probability of making money and what is happening with your clients and customers when you are using this law of fair exchange. And last but not least, we had touch on, are you a slave to your passions or a master of your mission? Another really awesome episode with Dr. D. Martini, you guys. You're going to really enjoy this one. And without further ado, let's hop into the podcast.
0: The Business Method.
1: Listeners, welcome to the show. We're welcome back to the show. I'm excited to welcome back Dr. D. Martini on the podcast. He was on our show about two years ago. And one of the things that I've always noticed, either listening to Dr. Demartini's um, presentations or videos, or even when we had him on the podcast last time, I left the interview buzzing and just thoroughly excited about the things that he talked about. And so it's been a couple years and we have got him back on the show. We're very privileged. And I just want to say, Dr. Demartini, welcome to the show. And how are you today?
0: I'm doing great, and thank you again for having me. It's, I was looking forward to this.
1: Absolutely. And before we get started, I have to ask if you mind sharing where you're at, because we've never done a podcast with somebody that is where you're at, and
0: uh, <laughs> and I think it's really exciting. I am uh, on the Amalfi Coast. Um, out the window is Sorrento, just about 100 yards from here. I'm I'm anchored right offshore from that. And if you look on the, over on the other side of the rooms here, you'll see, um, Vesuvius, Pompeii and Naples and behind the uh, Sorrento, you got Positrano, So, and Capri's off to the left. So I'm, I'm in a lovely location in Italy, in the Mediterranean.
1: That sounds like absolute heaven to me. So we've never done a podcast with somebody calling in from their boats and especially in the Mediterranean, but do you, are you on the boat a significant amount of the year? Is this? kind of where you like to live?
0: Oh, uh, Most of the time I was traveling prior to COVID, but now I'm on here right now. I don't know how long I'll be on. I've been living on here for 20 years. Oh, wow. So I've been off and on uh, traveling by plane or by jet or I'm sailing. Ah. So I'm, uh, so I'm, uh, this has been my home for since 2001, actually nine 11. Wow. I bought it for as an anniversary present for my wife because at the time we were living in Trump Tower and she didn't want to be there after 9-11. So we had some other homes in Australia. So we went over to Australia and I told her, I said, I don't have any scheduled programs in Australia, but four times a year, I'm not going to see that often unless we've come up with plan B. Yeah. So this was plan B. That way we could rendezvous easier around the world.
1: The boat life sounds like a good life. I recently, we're doing a trip down to Mexico and I recently booked uh, a yacht a 60 foot yacht for our trip. And it's my first yacht I've ever reserved. And I'm just thoroughly excited about getting to go down there and, and, um, doing a trip down there. So I'm, I'm, I'm a new passion, passionate person about the, the, the water boat life. Cause it's, it's really cool how amazing they make these boats.
0: Well, I think from what you said right before we came on that, uh, Italy has a little bit of a heart for you. Yeah. So I guess the Mediterranean or, are- Tuscany or whatever will be a good place to uh, to visit. Yes, and maybe sail and all visit. So yeah, I, I, I think most females that I know, uh, when they think of Tuscany and Florence, particularly Tuscany, they have a they kind of perk up a bit. I, I, so I think that's a romantic location. Well, I'm single right Great now, actor.
1: so that's perfect. Right? <laughs> Get a boat and head to Tuscany, head to the the, the Med. <laughs> all right. Um, Dr. Martini, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. As you know, we this is the Business Method Podcast and we talk a lot about high performance and entrepreneurship. We have a lot of listeners that are current entrepreneurs in the hustle, scaling their businesses, or are aspiring entrepreneurs. And we dive a lot into, as you know, mindset, how incredibly important mindset is as an entrepreneur, as, as anybody that wants to create significant change in their life. And I was reading through your blog this morning, and there's a few articles that you wrote that really, really stood out for me that I thought would apply to our listeners very well. And the first one is how to unlock the full potential of your mind. And you you see stuff like this on the internet all the time, YouTube channels, Instagram clips, TikTok videos about how to unlock your full potential. But I know thoroughly, because I've followed you for, I don't know, 15 years plus now, that you're an expert on this, and you've been doing it, and you're living on a boat in the Mediterranean by Italy, so you know how to lock full potential if you can do that. But um, could, could we dive more into that article about the points that you made throughout that writing and, and how we can apply this to our lives?
0: Okay, I um, I write so many articles, I'm not sure which one it is. But uh-huh. um,
1: well, well, I'll I go through, eight, I can go through the, the, some of the points here. So we have the stimulus response, reflex, uh, and reflect reflex and reflect a uh, reflective awareness. Yeah, I think I got it. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I
0: got it. Yeah. Right. So, uh, every human being, regardless of gender or spectrum of gender culture or age lives moment by moment by a set of priorities a set of values, things that are most to least important in their life. Whatever is highest on that list, what their life truly demonstrates they're committed to, not the fantasies that they inject into their lives by the comparison of other people, but what their life shows and demonstrates is truly important to them. This highest value they spontaneously are inspired from within to fulfill and act upon. There's a thing called reaction and a thing called action. And reaction is externally stimulated and action is intrinsically driven. And individuals who live by the very highest value, the highest priority, or as Gary Keller says, the one thing that most inspires them, they're the ones that build momentum and are literally the people that do incremental momentum building actions that achieve the greatest outcome. They're the ones that have a tendency to want to pursue and tackle challenges that make a contribution humanitarianly to the world and solve problems. They're not shrinking from problems, they're searching for problems and challenges they'd be inspired to solve. And so, filling your day with the highest priority actions, the number one thing, the 20% of the 20% of the 20% of the 20% of, the 20% of what you absolutely love doing, it gives you the competitive advantage because you don't have the friction and resistance of the personas and mass and facades that you put on because of the comparison of other people, you're intrinsically called from within to act. Mine is teaching. I do it every day for 49 years now. I love doing that. If you can focus on what it is that you're absolutely inspired, that's where you're most objective. That's where you're most reflective. That's where you have the most momentum. That's where you're, Your executive center calms down with glutamate and geba, calms down the impulses and instincts that distract you from being present. That's when you're most inspired. You feel that your your mission is being accomplished. That's when you're most equitable with other people and have the most equanimity within yourself and authenticity. And I believe that every symptom in the world, in your life, in every area of your life, is a feedback mechanism to guide you back to that authentic integral self that inspires you. So that is the key to building momentum, transcending obstacles, Uh, limited beliefs that they've talked about are nothing more than injected values of people that you didn't select and didn't mentor under that have infiltrated your consciousness that you're trying to scatter yourself being instead of being authentic to yourself. Being first at being you is greater than being second at anyone. And this is the key and, and being clear what that is on my website, I have a value determination process to assist people in clarifying that. But if an individual will stick to the highest priority things, if they fill their day with the highest priority actions that inspire them, their day won't fill up with low priority distractions that don't, and then they become unstoppable.
1: I love that. A um, couple questions. One, if somebody doesn't know what that is for themselves, how can they find that? And two, can that change with, over time, like different chapters, different um, periods of their lives, like pre, pre-children, pre post-children sort of thing?
0: Yes. Um, again, on my website, drdemartine.com, there's a, a complimentary, private, oh, 30-minute questionnaire to help you narrow it down. I've been studying human values for over 43 years and lecturing about it. And I developed a a a more objective way of defining what they are because many times people are if you ask them what they value they'll they'll tell you all kind of cliches and idealisms and social idealisms from mothers fathers preachers teachers conventions traditions mores right you know if you ask somebody if you ask a thousand people or ten thousand or hundred thousand people at a conference how many want to be financially independent everybody puts their hands and legs up in the air And yet what their life demonstrates is not that their life demonstrates. They want to buy consumables that depreciate value and they get, you know, more month at the end of their money than money at the end of the month, because they, what they fantasize and what they're actually living are different. I want to know what they're actually living, what their life demonstrates, not their words, but their actions to build a foundation to build momentum around. So that's what on the website people can do. It's a simple 13 questionnaire that is really powerful that, helps people narrow that down. And do they change? Yes. Most people um, start injecting the values of mothers around age one, fathers around age three, uh, starting to get preachers and teachers around age four. And then in, in elementary school, you start getting your social network starting to infiltrate and teachers start to get in. And as you go through life, you just keep getting layered upon layered into social indoctrinization and the herd mentality. And the, the real you is somehow gets squashed in there. And then eventually in your forties or so, you try to get to the, that uh, authentic you to come out. And so it gets suppressed and it can change and be influenced by the external world until you're strong enough, as Emerson said, in his essays on circles, to bust past those constraints of what people expect of you and give yourself permission to shine from within, And let the voice and the vision on the inside become louder than all opinions on the outside. When you do that, it's there. And yes, it can change. And usually decade by decade, you can see refinements. The more authentic you are, the more incremental it changes, the more inauthentic it is, the more cataclysmic changes occur to get you back on track. So the universe uh, around you and your physiology within you, I would say that if you listen to your physiology and psychology, you'll do incremental change and keep it refined. If you don't, you're going to listen to sociology and theology and the rules around you to dictate that. And it's wiser to be governed from within than having to be governed from without. If you want to master your life and not be a victim of history.
1: Hey, real quick to the listeners out there, I want to ask you something. What are you doing to optimize your day-to-day performance and productivity levels? You know, guys, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, and we're always trying to learn more and more about how each and every one of us can optimize our performance. The reason why I'm asking you is because today our show is sponsored by the good folks at C's. C's is a mental wellness company that aims to empower entrepreneurs and high performers with supplements to enhance their productivity and minimize their pain points. Flow is their flagship product, which is a ready to drink powder that comes in a 30 day stick pack that works as an energy and focus enhancer. Flow was created to improve your focus, increase your alertness, enhance your creativity, so you can tackle the prime tasks of the day while staying in a creative flow state. On top of that, there are no energy crashes with their product Flow, which means an improved mood and enthusiastic approach to business these benefits are a supreme advantage for entrepreneurs and high performers to sustain their performance on a regular basis flow is an instant and sustained boost it can be a replacement or enhancement for coffee so you no longer require many cups per day to combat lethargy and the sluggish part of the day just to stay on top of things Flow will give you what you need to get your brain cells firing so you can optimize your work results, hit your goals, have more time doing what you love, and spending time with loved ones so you can seize each and every day. When you sign up for Seize's VIP list, you get first access and can receive 50% off the pre-launch offer, you guys. That is half off during this pre-launch offer. Just head over to Seize.life forward slash to business method. That's Seize, C's, S-I-I-Z, Seize.life forward slash to business method to get your discount. We'll put all the links in the show notes, you guys. And now, let's hop back into the interview. Something that I've seen other people experience and, and myself included throughout my life is that how how does one trying to or having struggles tapping into that inner authentic self while at the same time still holding on to maybe past cultural values. So a quick example, I'm in Austin, Texas, right? A lot of Texans, people here are very proud about Texas Um, and say somebody goes off on their life. And they just carry this, this thought process with them. I'm a Texan. This is how Texans live. This is how we do it in Texas. But there's this inner voice saying, there's also another voice saying what we really want you to do, or your life purpose is to travel the world and, you know, maybe start a business and feed hungry children or whatever it may be. And they're torn between that connection of their past and what this other voice is saying inside of them.
0: That's a great uh, point. Uh, The Roman poet and uh, politician Seneca said that you measure an individual by their most distant ends, and the magnitude of space and time within the innermost dominant thought determine the level of conscious evolution they've obtained. When I studied Socrates and Epictetus and even Einstein and many others, I found out that they, they had a mindset that I'm not a man of my own locality. I'm not a man of my family, my community, my city, my state, my nation. I'm a citizen of the world or a citizen of the universe.
1: Right.
0: And I, I've, uh, taken that. I've got an internal dialogue that the universe is my playground. The world is my home. I live on a ship called the world. Um, every country is a room in the house. Every city is a, a platform to share my heart and soul. So I've I've always imagined myself outside because the broader the perspective, the more objective and broader the perspective, almost a celestial view, the more you see neither good nor evil in the game. And the more you're transcending the moral hypocrisies that trap people in the box and the idea of a locality of their, you might say their mortality. So I'm a firm believer in giving yourself permission to shine, not shrink and to think of yourself as a celestial being having a terrestrial experience instead of a terrestrial being having a celestial experience. I was having dinner with Rupert Murdoch in New York with uh, his daughter and her husband and my wife many years ago. And I asked him how he, you know, globalized his influence. And he said something very important which I was already doing, but I, I emphasized it more. He takes a globe. He has a big globe in his office, sitting on on his desk and he takes the globe and he holds it in his hand and he spins it. And he looks out from outside the globe, looking down and he asks himself, what message do I want to bring to what part of the world? The world is mine to play and Mm. to create what I want in. And he sees it from out here, a bigger perspective. You know, we, at one time the theologies, of the the major religions of the world, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, or whatever, were highly influenced by the third century and fourth centuries, Neoplatonic philosophies, by Aristotle and, and Plato. But at the time they believed in a geocentric model. And this is a Ptolemaic model, not a Copernican revolutionary model. And they had this idea that you had fixed stars and you had the celestial world and you had the terrestrial world. The world of trial was a terrestrial world and the celestial world was the more heavenly. And they had that idea. And so they, they had a fixed boundary that they thought. And then when Thomas Wright and Galileo came along and had a telescope and looked out and saw, my God, that, that Milky Way, that Pythagoras understood, is there's now millions of those Milky Ways out there. Mm. And they saw that these stars were galaxies. And we now look and see this vast web. And we realize that we're part of a vast system and that we have an influence, as Arthur Eddington said, when the electron vibrates, the whole universe shakes. And we don't give ourselves permission to think outside the box. I think the people like, uh, you know, Elon Musk and Richard Branson and Bezos are starting to think outside and think, you know, what are we going to do on this, in this universe now? I think they're leaders because they have an astronomical vision. If unless you have an astronomical vision, don't expect to do a global influence. Mm. Unless you have a global vision, don't expect to have a national influence. You always want a vision bigger than your, been bigger than the obstacles, so you can transcend them and see them on the way, not in the way. Otherwise, you'll play small. I've, I, I learned from Ed Tullison: never live where you can't see the farthest horizons. All my homes were on the 62nd, 63rd floor, top of a mountain, or out at sea, where nothing blocked my vision and horizons. And I'm a firm believer that if you give yourself permission to live authentically, the space and time horizons keep expanding, just like the telomeres on your genes keep expanding every time you're doing something you're inspired by. I
1: I love that idea that you live only in places where you can see the horizons, um, because I mean everybody knows when you go to the top of a mountain and you see this beautiful view or the Grand Canyon or whatever or the ocean, that the psyche kind of changes, right? Your your whole body and it feels different. And if we're looking at that on a regular basis, I could imagine how how the human psyche and the brain and the body would perform and then what we would think about as opposed to looking at a busy highway out of your window or even just, you know, a tree right in front of your face. And um, so So maybe we can we can talk more on that. What do you think is happening to the brain? um, To your conscious subconscious, when when you're in that environment looking at the horizons on a regular basis?
0: Well, there is a thing that astronauts, um, Edgar Mitchell, uh, really initiated called the overview effect. And the farther you go out away from the earth and look down upon the earth from the moon, for instance, or maybe the space station, Um, the more difficult it is to judge. Mm. And you see the things neither good nor evil. Mm. You're able to see both sides of things objectively. And you're more likely to love and appreciate this magnificence and this awe-inspiring planet. So, yeah, I think the broader the space and time horizons, the more grateful we are. I think that's why they had in the theology that as you go out into the celestial space, you have harmony, and you go down to the terrestrial space, the word terrestrial trial, ends in trial, judgment. So we tend to be narrow-minded when we go down gravitationally down to the earth, and we tend to be more uh, radiationally, radiate and lighten ourselves as we go out into a bigger view. And so this overview effect is real, and um, there's no doubt that it has an impact. The Nobel prize winners, the 2016 Nobel prize winners, and um, when they did things on place cells and grid cells, they found out that there is a social hierarchy and the social hierarchy has an altitudinal component. And typically you'll see uh, the socioeconomics rising up and living on top of the mountains or flying more or being out at sea or you see that. And so that it is an impact. And uh, as I said, uh, you want to make sure that you don't have anything blocking your view Mm -hmm. because I was in um, New York many years ago consulting for a doctor and it was in a building that was in kind of a cramped area of the town. It was on the lower floor. And the only window he had in the office, this doctor's office was out his window. And from his desk, it had this tiny window over on the left side. And because I understood this principle, I asked his assistant to go to look at the area codes where his patients were coming from. And uh, just intuitively, From my observation, what you see in your mind's eye is what you get. Mm -hmm. And we showed, really showed him that the area codes were predominantly what he was seeing out that window. He had a a yearning to want to look out and get connected out from that window. And his he had a a body of patience coming predominantly from what he saw at a window. Wow. So if we have a very cramped in view, uh, we get a cramped in life. So I'm a firm believer that every time you live by your highest values, you give yourself permission to expand. Yeah. And you don't end up at the shrink's office. You end up at the stretcher. I'm not a shrink. I'm a stretcher. I help people expand their their view. And the highest priority actions are literally higher priority, higher levels. As Emerson says in his circles, uh, the soul constantly calls us to ever greater consent spheres and it doesn't put a boundary on it, but our mind tends to limit ourselves by new paradigms that we've injected from outer authorities. But if we subordinate to outer authority, we'll get caught in the, the past. That's why in business and in, uh, in education, if you're doing nothing but citing old, old authorities instead of being innovative and create a new authority, you're going to hold yourself back. I love the beautiful mind with Russell Crowe. When he's out there looking with the pigeons and looking for algorithms and all these guys are talking about they're sitting on the bench laughing at him because he hadn't written anything and he says yeah but you're citing people of the past i'm creating original ideas but he's the one that got the nobel prize for equilibrium model the nash equilibrium and he's the one that impacted economics and social dynamics uh, and left his mark because he was original thinker and that came from stepping out of the box and not subordinating to the world around you and original ideas Originality, genius, creativity, innovation. I spoke at the United Nations recently about that, and I and I found that 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 occurs to the degree that we are spontaneously inspired to act on fulfilling something that's deeply meaningful. That will automatically originate new ideas, and that's why. And as you know from Bezos, when he went and talked to and looked at that video on Sony, they were not talking about becoming number one in Sony. They wanted to do something for Japan. They had a bigger vision that's what made them cut co- their company so significant so give yourself permission to do something extraordinary uh, a vision that's beyond your own mortality uh, uh you know legacy oriented things and watch what happens it does have an impact it has an impact on your financial destiny it has an impact on your social impact it has an impact on your vitality and energy because the greater the cause the greater the outcome in life
1: yeah this is exactly why, for the listeners, it's so important to get out of the house and get into nature and get out of the office and go hike and go see these beautiful views on a regular basis. And Even more important now, we know that it is to have a view for wherever you live. One of your articles you, you wrote kind of more in-depth about neuroplasticity and epigenet- epigenetics and this is a hot topic these days we talk about neuroscience a lot on the podcast we've had a lot of neuroscientists on the podcast flow state experts i'm wondering if we could dive more into that even more curious about when you're in that state when you're seeing these beautiful views when you're in nature to get in that uh, mindset to be more creative do you know exactly what's happening with the brain and the body? And, and can you, can you define that a little bit more for us?
0: Well, individually that's based on the content because the different areas of the brain will light up based on the content of what inspires them. True. But unquestionably when you're living in alignment and congruent with what you value most, the blood glucose and oxygen is given to the forebrain and the telencephalon, the prosencephalon embryologically, this, uh, Forebrain uh, is where the executive center is, the media prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. And that has oligodendrocytes, which are specialized glial cells that actually myelinate the nerves and increase the speed of conduction and increase the functions of the greatest number of associations and creativity you can do. It also uh, links into the V5, V6 area, of the cortex of the occipital region for vision and allows you to have the greatest amount of visual information. And you know, the old saying that those are the vision flourish. Those without a vision perish. Mm -hmm. It also helps you strategically plan because you have the most visual content and you have the most information. It also calms down the amygdala and neutralizes the impulses, instincts. And it also activates the associate motor cortex for spontaneous action. So when we live by our priority, we're literally myelinating that area of the brain and that's neuroplastic. And if we are living by lower priority things, the blood glucose and goes into uh, goes down into the amygdala and into the hindbrain spinal reflexes for survival, not thrival. And now we demyelinate the forebrain and myelinate this area. And now we go into impulse and instinct to become more addictive in behavior. Uh, I always say that compulsive, impulsive, immediate gratifying addictive behaviors is compensation for not filling our day with high priority actions. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're really inspired by something, engage on it, we don't want to go and take breaks. And we don't want to go and and drink and party and do that. We were interested in actually doing something that's deeply inspiring and meaningful. Right. So yeah, we're neuroplastically remodeling the brain moment by moment, and the dendrites and the little spines on the dendrites can be changed in micromilliseconds. It's uh, changing. The proteins are vibrating at femtometer frequencies, and this is a constant remodeling brain. And that's why you want to prioritize what you're thinking, prioritize who you're hanging out with, prioritize the actions you do, prioritize what you're eating. If you're not filling your day with the absolute highest priority things, don't expect the most amazing results. Neuroplasticity is real.
1: Um, uh, you mentioned prioritize eating. And just curious while we're here, what what type of diet do you keep? And maybe sleep schedules?
0: Well, I uh, my diet is... Uh, I'll just share what I've had today. This morning I had a uh, fresh uh, yogurt, plain yogurt. I have some berries and some mango and I had some beautiful multi-grain bread, a little toasted, slightly toasted. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's for that. And for lunch uh, it varies. I sometimes I'll just have some sea bass or some fish or whatever, some carrots, some broccoli, and usually some multi-grain uh, bread at, at dinner. I sometimes have brown rice and vegetables in it. They make it specially for me with sesame seeds and some nuts on it. And then I have some, I have two grapes for dessert. That's my, I don't eat sweets. I I just eat grapes. And uh, so I'm a very simple eater. I'm more about eating the things that allow me to perform than I'm in. I I don't go for impulse eating. I don't, you know, eat sweets and don't junk food. None of that's my life because that's, not priority to me. So that's my typical diet. That's what I eat every day. I drink water and I have usually vegetable juice and I have uh, carrot and celery and cucumber and sometimes other greens in there. And I have a little, at least one glass of that a day. And uh, so, and I drink water. I don't, I haven't had coffee. I've had three cups of coffee my entire life. I've had uh, very little tea no caffeine tea. It's usually herbal teas, you know, ginger tea or some sort of tea like that, raspberry tea if I have any tea and uh, no alcohol, one glass of wine in all these years. Yeah. So I've been pretty consistent on that for almost 50 years. And I'm 67 in uh, two months.
1: Oh, wow. Happy early birthday. Um, a sleep schedule, sleep times?
0: That varies. Um, I'm about to do a presentation from midnight till 2 p.m. for the next two days starting tomorrow and have a conference before that at 10 p.m. So I'll do something from 10 to 1130. Then I'll then start another one at midnight. I vary that because of the global scale. And so I don't have an absolute rhythm primarily because of that. So my circadian rhythms are very unique in that respect. But as I traveled around the world, I didn't get jet lag. I think if you're really, 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 really inspired by what you do, you don't notice that as much. And, uh, but I have very interesting hours that varies because I'm in different times. I'll be in Japan or I'll be in India or I'll be in Africa or Australia or whatever it may be um, from where I am. And those are all different time zones doing programs. And I, I love it. I, I, my love for what I do uh, tends to be a higher priority than um, you know, an absolute rhythm on that. And with the way I travel, that's, that's the way it's been. So I, I seem to be performing pretty well in that I do my exercise and I, and I do get sleep, I just don't get them at the exact same time every day. And that has its downsides, according to physiologists. But um when I monitor it, it doesn't seem to have had a major aging process so far I me mean, yet. I still have more energy than most people and I still can knock out 18 hours a day.
1: That's absolutely incredible. Okay, so let's hop back into neuroplasticity. We know the brain is plastic and that it can regenerate itself. And there's things you can do to help regenerate itself and help not regenerate itself. And so when we're following our passion, living by our priority and purpose, I'm assuming our brains are automatically working in a way where they're regenerating themselves and functioning on a level that. We're creating, we can learn faster and we're creating new neural pathways. Does that sound correct?
0: Well, um, first of all, I, I, I'm going to be pedantic about it here. If you go into the etymology of the word passion, you will find out it means to suffer.
1: Okay. It comes
0: from pati and "passi," which means to suffer. So I don't, I don't have passion. I don't focus on passion. Passion is, and compassion means to suffer or suffer with somebody. I have very little interest in that. Uh, a man on a mission, I would call myself, more than a passionate individual. Passion usually means ungoverned, uncontrolled impulses and instincts from the amygdala. Okay. But the a man on a mission is what I would call myself. An inspired mission, which is highest in value, which is the telos, as Aristotle described, without a doubt, causes neurogenesis. The oligodendrocytes are involved in neurogenesis in various regions of the brain, depending on what and how you're using your brain. To say it's neuroplastic is we want to be clear that it's not like it's just changing, um, everywhere. It's very specific to the absolute priorities that we have in life and when we are requiring it, and when we are doing something at tying our values, the pulvinar nuclear and our thalamus filters out our sensory reality and allows us to extract the most important information out of all the infinity, uh, information that's coming at us. So we select the information, that information goes into the brain. It goes into the conscious level. It integrates conscious and unconscious most effectively. We're more aware and we end up having the most uh, neuroplastic uh, regenesis of the brain. Uh, They didn't believe that was occurring in the seventies, around the eighties and nineties, it started coming in. Now we know it's true, Mm -hmm. particularly in certain regions, but um, without a doubt, I, I don't want to make it like it's just, you do something and you, you do it because sometimes we're just myelinating nerves and decreasing the degeneration of nerves by using them. But the neurogenesis is more specific on something that we feel engaged by and more inspired by. And that's why I I, I tell people, if you want to maximize your learning process, ask whatever you're about to learn, how specifically is it helping you fulfill what you value most? Mm -hmm. How's it helping you fulfill what's deeply meaningful? And make as many links in your brain and answer that question as many times as possible. And you'll have the greatest neurogenesis and the greatest, uh, you know, neuroplasticity and myelinization of the brain. The oligodendrocytes respond to intentions and attentions that are meaningful.
1: I, I want to shift a little bit and talk to uh, a mindset or talk to a little bit more about um, the mindset for creating results for entrepreneurs. But you talk about how to make money using the law of fair exchange and i think like as an entrepreneur we have a community of entrepreneur we have entrepreneurs we have a lot of listeners and you know people want to dive into either the new way to make money online you know let's just say amazon or whatever's hot at the moment and they want to hustle really really hard for x amount of time until they get to a point where they have x amount of money and then they can do whatever they want to do afterwards right and i think this is very much ingrained in society maybe even primal mindset for a lot of people to work hard for x amount of years and then you'll get the freedom that you want or or the life that you want so can we dive more into understanding how to make money using the law of fair exchange? And then maybe how, like the, in many ways, that hus- those hustle years of work, work, work can be more of a curse than a blessing?
0: Well, many people have money, morning blues, Wednesday hump days, thank God it's Fridays and week freaking end. Uh-huh. And they have a schizophrenic life doing something to earn money so they can escape it with a break a vacation or retirement and doing something that then they think as an escape, their dopamine drives them to do, which they think is gonna be meaningful, but eventually it's just spending the money and then having to go back to work. Right. Uh, I think that's a little bit insane myself. I think that that's not the way to live your life because making money without meaning leads to debauchery, but making money with meaning leads to philanthropy. I like that. Uh, to me, your vacation and vocation can be the same. I've, I've spent my 49 years of my focus on how to do that. I've helped thousands of people do that. There's no doubt in my mind, you can do something that's deeply meaningful that you love doing that you can't wait to get up in the morning and do and get handsomely paid to do that and go do something extraordinary. And then you don't have to escape it. You're yes. doing it because you love doing it. You know, I'm, I uh, had bre- or no, lunch yesterday with a very wealthy billionaire. It's here on the ship with me. And, uh, Uh, You know, he is a very driven individual. He loves what he does. He's incredibly creative. He's an amazing genius, one of the brightest men on the planet. And uh, he doesn't uh, we were flying together from Singapore into Hong Kong on the same plane and uh, everybody was crashing out, going to sleep. We were the only two people had our computers up and we're working away because we are not trying to escape our life. We're engaged in it. So there's a, there's a step-by-step process I'd like to share that um, I extracted and summarized from a book called The Time Trap by Alec McKenzie. You know, if you make a list of every single thing that you do in a day, everything, and I don't mean broad, vague generalities, marketing, sales, or whatever, I mean, down to the very nitpicky action steps you do moment by moment and make a list of every action step you do. And then on a column next to that, after you made this exhaustive list, it's both personal and professional. Then ask how much does it produce per hour? Because the productivity per hour means that you're serving somebody, mm-hmm. it's making a difference, and somebody's willing to pay for it. And you make what is it producing per hour? And if you do, you will find out that you're majoring in minors and minoring in majors, and many times, and you're not really taking command of your priorities. And then next to that, and, and once you get it all summarized, and, and what it produces per hour by extrapolation, then summarize that by prioritizing it, what is the producing the most down to least? And that gives you some priority. Then next to that, put a column in on a one to 10 scale, how much meaning does each of these actions have? A 10 being extremely meaningful that you can't wait, and you're inspired to do it, you love to do it, nobody has to motivate you extrinsically to do it. And a one is something that you have to be pushed and motivated to do. See, I'm not a motivational speaker. A motivation is a symptom, never a solution for human beings. Mm-hmm. It's a sign of unengagement and not prioritization. If you have to have an external motivation to get you to do something, you're living by duty and extrinsic push and you're having to push people uphill. And that's not the way to have people working for you and not the way to work. And that's the people that want to escape and want the breaks and want the vacation. I'll come back to a story from the wall street journal that I, an article I put in there. And then, um, the third one is how much is it produced to delegate that to a high quality person that can do a greater job than you at the highest standard? And what's the cost? And then what's the, the spread between that, what it produces per hour versus what, it, what you actually pay per hour, and then prioritize that. And the next column next to that, write down how much time do you actually spend on it per day? Mm-hmm. And on the final column, prioritize that entire list according to spread uh, priority of what it produces versus meaning. And I guarantee you if you'll do that exercise and summarize that exercise and then layer out and delegate all the lower priority things that are less meaningful, less productive, and, you know, allow you to maximize your spread, you increase engagement in yourself, you increase job opportunities, you help the economy, you increase the, um, the literally factorial relationships economically with people, you give job opportunities, you're free to do highest party things, you absolutely are inspired to go to work, and you're giving other people the opportunity to do the same if you hire them doing what they love. yeah, And that liberates you and frees you to do what you love in life, and absolutely no reason not to. The only reason people aren't doing what they love is they don't know the strategies and how to do it if you teach them that and they apply that, there's there's not anybody in here that can't do that. I've taken housewives that aren't even working, start businesses with that same principle from doing that from their own home. And uh, I've seen amazing things happen. But if you can't wait to get up in the morning and be of service to people, people can't wait to give it. And when you're doing something that's highest on your value, you're most objective, you're most reflective. And if you're reflective, you're not narcissistically talking down on your customer and not meeting their needs, which eventually humble you by pride going into hubris. And if, you're, and if you're altruistic and minimizing yourself and exaggerating them, you're sacrificing profits. So anytime you exaggerate and minimize yourself instead of be yourself, which is an inflection of your highest value, you automatically undermine the fair exchange component of the sustainable transactions that allow both you and them to want to continue to do business. And so therefore your true authenticity, your equanimity of spiritual mission in life is an expression of your material manifestation. Mm-hmm. There's no separation between spirit. Spirit without matter is, you know, motionless, and matter without, or expressionless, and matter without. Spirit is motionless. You want to be inspired by what you do and do it in a way that it materializes and manifests on the planet and serves vast numbers of people. If you do, you're going to get a vast return on all your investment of time and energy.
1: Well put, well put. Um, Maybe if we could dive more into the law of fair exchange, that all transactions are striving towards fair exchange. How does that work?
0: Well, if you meet somebody, if you infatuate them, and you put them on a pedestal, and you minimize yourself, uh, you are too humble to admit what you see in them inside you, and you minimize. And when you minimize, all values in society go from those who have the most power to those who have least power. So you tend to inject their values in your life, and try to live in their values, which is futile. You can't be them. Mm -hmm. You'll be second at being them instead of first being you. And if you resent somebody and look down on them and exaggerate yourself, you're too proud to admit what you see in them is inside you. You'll tend to project your values onto them and expect them to live in your values. Mm. Anytime you're narcissistically projecting your values onto people and expecting them to live in your values, you create futility. Anytime you minimize yourself and inject their values and try to live in their values, you have futility. Mm -hmm. But the second you have reflective awareness and have true intimacy and realize that you're not above or below and they're not above and below, but you have equanimity within you and equity between you and them, transactions are now in fair exchange. You're both winning. It's a non-zero sum game. The other two are zero sum games. You're trying to get something for nothing or give something for nothing. And you're walking around with carelessness or carefulness instead of caringness. And caring is what keeps rings on fingers in relationships and allows people to maximize their sustainable fair exchange. And then people want to get up and do more business with you because, and you want to give business to them because you both got what you wanted. And this is the the, the difference. People think that they can get a, they can sell and go and get a, a fortune out of it and take advantage of people, but then they, they undermine their their brand and they don't build something that they, it's no meaning there. The mean is the mean between the pairs of opposites. And when you have meaning in your business, you're philanthropic, you love human beings, and you want to go and be of service. In the Great Book of Wealth by Hubert Hell Bancroft, the very first cha- chapter and section of the book, it says there are three things common to the wealthiest people in the world. One, they felt by divine providence and human sovereignty that they were here to serve vast numbers of people. Number two, that they were here to raise the standard of society by investing in inspiration and everybody's mastery, not desperation, and they had transcended the idea of good and evil associated with money. It's simply a measurement of sustainable fair exchange. And wow, when you get those three things in operation, the fortune is is all within your grasp.
1: What are some good questions that uh, the entrepreneurs out there can ask themselves to help them understand if, they're, I guess, maybe in alignment with fair exchange, or if they need to reevaluate how their business is being operated to increase the amount of fair exchange?
0: Well, n- nature automatically, remember, I said that everything is striving to help authenticity. So if you go into a narcissistic assumption and pride and you project onto the world, what you think the world needs and wants. A lot of entrepreneurs go out there. I think this is what the world needs. And they go out there and then there's no demand. Mm-hmm. If there's no demand, you're projecting an assumption and not meeting a need. So when there's a demand and there's people grateful and you've got a backlog, and if you even have to ask the question, whether you're in in, in fair exchange or not, <laughs> there's <laughs> no stupid. question there because yeah. you're grateful for life and they're grateful for doing business with you. And you got, you have a flourishing business. But if you're sitting projecting onto them and not meeting their needs, you're eventually going to get humbled purposely. The symptoms of the business are there to humble you back into authenticity, where you have reflective awareness. Reflective awareness is not deflective awareness, it's a realization that they're equally as valuable as you. And it's not just the customer centric, You can't just do customer-centric. I mean, even Bezos has had to learn that the hard way now with the Teamsters coming in and creating a kind of a union in his organization, because he was more customer-centric than employee-centric. you got to be employee-centric, customer-centric, ecologically-centric, stockholder-centric. You have to think of all the variables. And whoever has the most caringness about all the people that are involved on the largest scale is the one that has the biggest impact in the world. So the caring is, is a very, selling is caring. You know, if if you try to project onto something and sell something that they don't need, even though you think you're slick at it, you're undermining your your long-term brand because they're not going to want to do business with you because you you, you gave them a, a hype. Hyper and hypo is not true caring. So I'm not interested in hype, I'm interested in caring and delivering a service that matches a real need. And that's where questioning comes in. The quality of your life is based on the quality of the questions you ask. If you ask quality questions to customers and to employees, to help you and they and everybody get some sort of a a fair exchange, then there's no way you will stop your business from flourishing.
1: Um, I, I, I think you kind of answered the question I was going to ask you about asking questions. But I do see a lot of entrepreneurs that kind of get stuck in the mode of, well, I've worked on this business and business model for so long. I'm just going to continue it. Or I really believe in this product and service. And I'm just going to keep like building it and building it and building it. And eventually the market will shift and I'll, I'll be, you know, the, the business will be more successful. Um, What are some ways we can detach from that as entrepreneurs? Because I think we get wrapped up in an idea of a business or product or service that we're really passionate about that I've seen people spend years of their lives working towards a thing only after many years and thousands of hours of, of work, do they give up on it and decide it's time to shift because this isn't working any, any ways that we can do that quicker and, and maybe realizations if we're stuck in that if somebody's stuck in that cycle how they can shift
0: well it's one thing to have something that's novel that you think is a new paradigm that you want to bring to the world and endure the challenges that it takes Mm -hmm. uh you know the little house that um elon musk was living in there in chico or boca chica texas along the beach area there you know, that little fabricated house, prefabricated house, Yeah, the individual was ingenious in creating the designs of those houses. Those are absolutely ingeniously created little homes and they're cost effective and they're efficiently transported. And they have thought of thousands of things in order to get that on the market. Mm-hmm. And um, if they pursued that, even though that may take a decade of their life, they pursue that they could revolutionize the industry. Right. So sometimes if you're showing incremental momentum building opportunities, they're sort of a sign that you're waking people up to that. And so you may learn new ways of of communicating in the market, meeting people's needs, keeping the cost down, leveraging yourself with the right celebrities or whatever it is. And you all of a sudden will build a momentum and you may end up with an absolutely vast fortune out of it. So sometimes not giving up on your dream is important, but there has to be some sort of a sign that you're incrementally making little incremental momentum-building achievements along the way. Right. If you see nothing happening but a plateau wall, you're either not meeting people's needs, you're not presenting it in a way that's uh, that's functional for people. You're not thinking about what the what the other people are offering and making sure you offer a better deal because every decision a human being has with their money is based on what they believe will give them the greatest advantage. Greatest return on investment of their time and money, mm-hmm. and if you can't compete with whatever's out there with that, then it's not going to do well. So, there's a law called the law of least action, the law of efficiency that Albertus, the mathematician, uh, described, and how important it is to make sure that you you work towards the efficiency and effectiveness. When more, you know, Ford Motor Company was with uh, Henry Ford, he looked at how do I effectively and efficiently create a car that matches the market's desire and what they'll pay for it. And he figured it out and he made the the machinery and he made the, the ergonomics make it where it was down to so efficient that it got the car out there. So if we're constantly refining and working on it and making incremental progress, then we don't have to give up on it. We can hold on to a dream and a vision, but we, we there has to be some sort of evidence of it, little incremental momentum building progress. Or otherwise you're not you're hitting a wall and you somehow you're not doing something that's meeting a need. Right. So if you if you get a, a absolute wall there, you know, I don't say give up, refine what you're doing or find something that really needs meets a need. But don't see if you sacrifice what you do just to meet a need to make money, you'll end up debaucherous. Right. Kind of like the wolf on Wall Street. But if you do something that's deeply meaningful that doesn't meet a need, you'll do something that's heart opening, but you won't have any profits. But you put those two together, now you'll make a profit. You'll be philanthropic.
1: Love it. Um, so another article that you wrote is it really stuck out to me. And I think we've kind of overlapped talking about subjects. It seems like the core of this interview for sure is about finding your core authenticity, bringing it and sharing it to the world so you can operate on a higher level and and also doing that in business as well. This article you were talking about are you a slave to your passion or a master of your mission and it really stood out to me because so much so many people out there are really enslaved to to their passions right and not ever making the jump or really making that shift to becoming a master master or a champion of their mission And maybe if we could dive into some of the points that you discussed on this, in this article, the uh, etymology of passion and mission and the values in your inspired mission.
0: An animal in the wild uh, is camouflage very commonly in the food chain from predator and from prey. That way they can capture the prey and avoid the predator. In order to do that, there's a part of our brain and in animal brains that has what they call pareidolia, the ability to see, well, first there's patternicity. There's ability to see patterns in the camouflage that might be live. Then there's uh, pareidolia, the ability to see faces in those patterns. And then there's agenticity, the tendency to see them alive and animated. And then there's what they call false positives. Um, Then the purpose of false positives is to be able to get the adrenaline and noradrenaline up high enough to be able to run fast enough to capture the prey or avoid the predator. And so when we're in survival because we're hungry or we might have to run from predator, the amygdala comes online and these actions come online. And we as humans still have these, we still have these activities. Almost everybody's walked in a marble bathroom and seen faces on the marble of animals or humans on it. This is, this is predolia. And so we have this mechanism and we cause us to have, instead of an objective view, a subjective bias, a confirmation bias and a disconfirmation bias on our reality in order to get the adrenaline flowing to capture something. We have to be infatuated with capturing it or resentful to get away from it. And so we automatically skew our reality and and polarize our perceptions and go into the survival amygdala where we have fast conducting neurons for emergencies and survival. And if you're running a business with that way, not a a lot of animals become wealthy. I know some humans with animals have, but not animals. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is because they're letting themselves subjectively bias their interpretation of the market and their own actions. They're not really fully aware. They're not videoing what they're doing and looking at what the results are. They're not really responding and finding out what the real needs are. And they're so they're not centered. They're not on, in tune, on time, on target, you might say, with an objective view of what's actually needed and what they're actually doing. And this is why living with high priority mission is so important, because in that case, the forebrain calms down those animal impulses and instincts, gets us with intuition, the sixth sense, and gets us into more reasonable objectives. And we get our facts in order, not our emotions. And as Warren Buffett says, don't expect to manage money if you can't manage your emotions. And Robert Greene in his 48 Laws said, you know, the, one, the number one obstacle to the thing is not knowing how to manage your emotions. And that's uh, in a sense EQ uh, with IQ. Your IQ and EQ and abstraction levels uh, are forebrain-oriented. And so if you really want to master the business world, it's about prioritizing and living by an inspired mission. Mm-hmm. Some mission that's bigger than the obstacles. If your mission is bigger than the obstacles, the obstacles turn into opportunities and you take whatever happens that perturbs you, you have introceptive homeostasis in your physiology and all the extra perceptions that come in that perturb us from the outer world are neutralized. That's why William James, the father of modern psychology, and even Wilhelm Wundt, another father of psychology, said that we, you measure an individual by their ability to not, not see the world running them, but them transforming their perceptions of the world and run themselves the greatest discovery of our generations, human beings can alter their lives by altering our perceptions and decisions and actions in mind. So yeah, it's knowing how to ask questions that calm down the impulses and instincts, allow us to be objective and stay focused on our mission and not be distracted by our passions of avoid and seek. The passions are where we're out of control. That's what it meant in its original. The Stoics and Marcus Aurelius talked about it, and even Zeno back at the time in the Cyprus, where he lived, the Ionians and the Cyprians, they basically talked about how important it is to transcend that. Even then, 2,400 years ago, 500, 600 years ago, they knew this. It hasn't changed since.
1: I would guess, um, based on what you've said, that one of the best ways to manage our emotions or to increase our EQ would be to ask questions or ask the right questions. Is there anything else that you think is really key or essential, um, to, to, uh, increase our EQ and manage our emotions better?
0: Yep. When we're infatuated with something we're conscious of the upsides and unconscious of the downsides. So therefore we're blind, ignorant, and unconscious of downsides. And when we're resentful to something which represents predator, Uh, we're unconscious of the upsides and conscious of the downsides. Again, ignorant. So, our ignorance is basically incomplete awareness. We're not mindful, we're mindless. And in the process of doing that, asking questions that make us aware of our unconscious is what our intuition is constantly trying to do. Mm -hmm. Our real sixth sense is nothing more than the whispering inside to try to make us aware of what we're unconscious so we can be fully conscious. And that's what takes us back to the meaning and gives us meaning in life. Extracting meaning out of our existence is actually what the brain does when you're living by highest priority. It automatically intuitively prompts that question intuitively in our mind to see the things we're blind and unconscious of so we can be fully conscious so we can make wise actions, not emotional decisions. And the word decide means to bring death to an option. So we're literally having a, Uh, a a zero-sum game when we're dealing with our emotions and we're in a non-zero sum game and trying to do a win-win when we're in our objective winning state. And that's where you have the objectivity, that's where you have equanimity. And this has been known for centuries. And all we have to do is uh, live by asking intuitive questions. If I'm infatuated, what is the downside? If I'm resentful, what is the upside? How is it trying to get me authentic? Because if I'm infatuated, I'm minimizing me, and I'm, that's not me. When I'm resentful, I'm exaggerating me. That's not me. I'm only me when I'm actually level-headed and objective, and I'm actually in a state of grace where I really appreciate what I'm getting to do with who people I get to do it with. And that's reflective awareness, not deflective. When you're judging, you're deflecting. You're disowning parts of yourself. The Gnostics in the second century, early Christian movement, were talking about pleroma, fullness and emptiness. And emptiness came from judging people and p- fullness came from appreciating and loving people and trying your best to find complete fair exchanges with people. So this is even before the business world got a hold of it, known in the social world and the theological world, how important this is to have fulfillment in life.
1: It seems like there's so much overlap with really the most important thing in in, in life. And what you've talked about on this interview is is getting in tune with your most authentic self and letting go of anything that doesn't serve that. I I would, I think we're going to wrap up here pretty soon, but I want to ask you, is there any final words that you would like to share with the entrepreneurs out there and the people of the world that can help them get more in tune with that so they can be more authentic in their lives and how they operate in their businesses?
0: Well, the prioritization i've already mentioned and living by the highest value is one but but if you don't fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you your day is designed to fill up with low priority distractions that don't to right. let you know you're not being authentic this see the symptoms in your business are not bad they're actually gifts because they're trying to guide you back to authenticity mm. if you look carefully and look through those eyes you'll see your business is doing everything it can to help you flourish and if you're not filling your day with challenges that inspire you, challenges are things that are problems in the world that people need help in. If you're not solving your day with challenges, ever greater challenges that inspire you, your day is going to fill up with challenges that don't. When you're filling your day with challenges that inspire you, create stress. and you have an immune response that's actually in your favor. And you, you actually have telomeres that grow on your genes and you live a longer life. But if you're actually trying to avoid challenges and look for – see, the amygdala is always wanting to avoid predator and seek prey, avoid pain, seek pleasure, avoid challenge, seek opportunity this way. The individual that goes and tackles challenges and embraces challenges and mitigates the risks and finds solutions are the most fulfilled people on the planet. They're the ones that make the difference. I ask people in every country I've been in, I've spoken to 154 countries, I ask people wherever I go, how many of you ever use Microsoft Windows? Every hand goes up. I said, it's because he solved a major problem that we've kind of forgotten and taken for granted now. But at one time, Windows was a major discovery and he solved that problem. And that's why he's a billionaire. Go and care enough about humanity to find the biggest problems that would inspire you to solve and put your focus and dedicate some energies on that and come up with creative and innovative solutions tackling those challenges with the resources that you have on a daily basis, or the people who are experts in the field and go do something, amazing. That's going to make a difference and watch what happens to your life.
1: Love it. Okay. Um, I love that. This has been an incredible show and incredible interview. Thank you so much, Dr. Martini. If the listeners want to learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? And I think also you mentioned a 30 minute questionnaire about getting in, in, in alignment with yourself.
0: Well, if they go on to drdmartini.com, my website is an educational website. You probably, you may have seen it, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But it's it's got thousands of interviews. I write for 1500 magazines around the world and uh, there's thousands of interviews, there's thousands of podcasts and, and webinars and radio and television interviews. And there's YouTube videos, there's webinars, there's all kinds of things there's just tons of information that you could just spend. You'd almost have to believe in Buddhism and believe in reincarnation just to be able to stay on there long enough to get through it all. I'm joking. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) But There's also the value determination process on there. That's a 30 minute private thing that you can stay on there and you can actually do the process. Look at what it is. It'll print it out. You can store it. You can come back any other time in your life, which I recommend doing it quarterly and look at what the evolution of your values is doing and then keep congruent with it. You know, give yourself permission to live authentically and congruently. And, and I promise you that the, that's, the energies will go up, the achievements will go up, the fulfillment will go up in your life, because we're rewarded by being our magnificence of our true self. The magnificence of who we truly are is far greater than any fantasies we'll impose on ourselves. So take advantage of the website, It's educational and also practical. And uh, then you can get in touch with where I am. If you look on the events, you can see where I am around the world or what programs I'm doing. And um, plus, there's lots of products and services on there for anybody that sees something that resonates with what their, their voids and values are at the time.
1: Incredible. I love the way you put that. Give yourself permission to live authentically. And we all could learn a lot from that and practice that more often. Dr. De Martini, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom. It's always a pleasure, sir. Thank, sir. thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me on the show again. I appreciate it.
1: And I hope to see you soon um, on a boat uh, off the coast of the Al Malfi. And I'll have my boat and you can have your and then I'll pull up to your boat and say hello and send you some fish. Um, but uh,
0: Sounds to me. just let me know in advance and we'll. We'll we'll organize it.
1: Sounds great. Thank you again, sir. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, I want to thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us. And once again, we wanted to remind you about our adventures and trips for entrepreneurs in our private community. If you enjoy luxury trips to the Caribbean, going on bucket list adventures around the world, or just traveling to connect with other established entrepreneurs, then be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to stay connected at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. Thanks for joining the show today, and we'll see you on the next episode.